Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Jessica, and today I'm joined by Lindsay and Amira. On this week's show, we're going to be talking about the NFL, which has had some of its more entertaining weeks of football recently, but it's also a league still rife with discrimination. We will talk about all of it. Then we'll burn the things that deserve to be burned, highlight the torchbearers who are giving us hope, let you know what's good in our worlds, and tell you what we're watching this week. But before we get into that, I want to talk about this first weekend of the Olympics. I personally had one of those great spectator Olympic moments where yesterday I found myself watching a replay of the men's 5,000 speed skating final, and I got incredibly invested in a sport I know nothing about, never watched, never heard of these people before. But there, it came down to the final skate, the pair that were going, and the Swedish guy, I know everything about his backstory, Niels Vanderpoel, he was going for it, he had the world record, but this Dutch guy had just skated the Olympic record, and he was nervous and on the sideline. They have to, I don't know, they do like 12 and a half laps or something. Swedish guy, he was behind by like two seconds, which apparently you just cannot overcome two seconds in speed skating and then in the last three laps he fucking did and I was screaming on my couch as this man won the gold medal for Sweden I just love stuff like that Amira did you have anything that you watched and loved over the weekend well I you know me I watch everything at like 3 a.m so I watched all one hour and 20 minutes of the cross-country skiing race. Then I was like, I'm going to turn this off in two minutes because it just started. And they are like, it will be an hour long, over an hour long. I watched <laughs> all of it. Um, what I love the most um, was definitely women's snowboarding um, and watching Zoe Sadowski in it win gold incredible it wasn't just like the incredible run in in her final jump but it was like the glee in which all of them were hugging each other like i was texting jess like i was like i'm sobbing just like the medalists were hugging each other and jess was like wait till the full group hug and all the competitors were like mobbing each other but the other thing if you haven't listened to the interview that zoe's dad did right after she won it was it was beautiful. <laughs> proud of you right now. You, your daughter's just become the first Kiwi to win a winter gold ever. I'm pretty fucking excited, to be honest. It was like clearly very happy and very intoxicated and just was like dropping F-bombs everywhere and it was delightful. New Zealand's first gold medal at the Winter Olympics Woo-hoo. too. So historic moment for that country. Lindsay, what did you get into this weekend? Like Amira and Jess, I've just been getting into sports that I didn't really think even a week ago that I would care about, you know? It's just shocking how easily the Olympics suck me in. I've been loving the figure skating team competition, but I have to say, watching Big Air, it's a death wish. I mean, they skate like backwards or sideways down the steepest ramp I've ever seen and then go up this thing and do all these spins and then like sometimes they land backwards on purpose. (laughs) And like one of the skiers, when she landed, one of her skis came off during the landing and she still stuck the landing, but they deducted points because her ski came off and that made me very, 
very angry. Because that, because what skill? <laughs> because it was just, uh, it was way more impressive than landing on both skis, landing just on one ski. Oh my gosh. So anyways, I was just kind of observing how, you know, I mean, I'm always in awe watching the Summer Olympics, but it's a different level of awe watching the Winter Olympics because every single sport looks like it should be killing you. Yeah. Like, it's like a survival. Yeah. And so it's just kind of a different level of of awe. But I've been I've been loving it. And I look forward to to more. I'll just say one thing about the Swedish uh, speed skater that I know everything about now. Uh, he has he is so funny to me and that every time I've seen him interviewed or I've read an interview with him, he talks about how much speed skating sucks and how it's the <laughs> hardest thing ever. And after he won, NBC was interviewing him and they're like, did you know that you could be this good, like that you could actually win the gold medal in the 5K? And I think he holds the world record in the 10K as well. And he basically said, yeah, like four years ago, I knew I could win the 10K, what I needed to do to win the 10K, but it's hard and I just didn't want to do it. And I was like, wow, I really relate to this athlete. (laughs) While he trained, he also was like, skydiving and he was like talking about how he was rewarding himself and one of the things he rewarded himself was doing 20 ultras <laughs> like I was like good sir that is why you're an Olympian because that is not a reward <laughs> yeah he is such a character oh my god oh one of the things I saw was the relay for the short track speed skating relay oh, bonkers. and honestly it was the most chaotic thing I've ever like short track when just I, yeah. it's just one race is ridiculous enough, but there are four races going on at the same time, and then if one country wh- whips out, like it whips out like the whole competition. Oh my god, they have knives on their feet. I just will never understand that. Super Bowl 56 between the Cincinnati Bengals and the LA Rams is this weekend. And the last two weeks of playoffs leading up to the big game have been, I cannot lie, exciting. Personally, I've basically given up on the sport of American football altogether. But even I found myself riveted and watching and really enjoying these playoffs. And then I felt bad about it because I felt like that meant the NFL was winning. Uh, I guess the PR battle from people's hearts. Uh, But then in the week after the conference championships, the NFL reminded us all why we don't want it to be winning. So let's start this discussion about this league with Brian Flores, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, who has filed a class action lawsuit against the league, the Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, and the Denver Broncos for racial discrimination. There's plenty to say about this. Lots that we've said repeatedly on the show already. But Lindsay, let's start by talking about the owner of the Dolphins, Stephen Ross, and like how far his actual tentacles go here. Yeah, so Stephen Ross is the founder of this organization called Rise. It's essentially uh, an organization creating a nation unified through sports committed to racial equity and social justice. This organization started like five, six years ago, and it's... One of those platforms that like a lot of sports leagues have partnered with is a way to say, look, like we're doing our diversity, equity and inclusion work. I first profiled this company back when it was working with NASCAR. um, And I don't even know if it still is working with NASCAR. But when I was with Think Progress, I was reporting on diversity issues in NASCAR. And I remember like having all these phone calls with people at Rise and 
nobody and at NASCAR, nobody could tell me exactly what they were doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was oh, like, gosh. yes, we're partnered together. Yes, this is a groundbreaking partnership, but like couldn't give any sort of exact things. And, you know, technically Rise says, this is from the NFL website. It says that Rise in less than five years has empowered more than 110 sports partners, 12,000 students, athletes, coaches, and staff at all levels with the tools to be leaders in eliminating racial discrimination, championing social justice, and improving race relations. Once again, a lot of buzzwords. But Stephen Ross, once again, the founder, has committed $30 million, which, of course, he's a billionaire, so like that's not that much money overall to this organization. Right. And he's also, though, gave money to Trump's inaugural committee way back when. So there's been a long history of Stephen Ross kind of propping up this organization and then behind the scenes doing very, very questionable things. I also, I'm sorry, I just saw this quote that I have to read. Troy Vincent, NFL executive vice president of footballers, operations. This was after um, Stephen Ross committed $13 million more million to rise. He said, during this time of unrest, many individuals have stepped up to being part of the solution. Stephen continues to de- dedicate his time, resources, and vision, as he has for decades, in an unwavering commitment to ending racism in partnership with the leadership, heart, and influence of athletes globally. This is the best part. Stephen's words are backed by his actions. <laughs> demonstrated by his body of work to advance equality, respect, and understanding as a leader in the national dialogue on race and social justice. To me, it just goes to show, like, we can't let these billionaires start these these organizations and just use them as a way to point to something and say, look, I'm not racist, or look, you know, I'm not sexist. Because there's no sign that these organizations actually do anything. And everyone partnered with Rise, especially after this report, really needs to do some digging. I think the NWSL even has a partnership with Rise right now. So, like, no. (laughs) Yeah, because his team is being sued for (laughs) racial discrimination. And it's so interesting because we've talked a lot about black coaches and the NFL discrimination on on this uh, show. And it's interesting that Flores chose a class action lawsuit that he's like, I am not alone here. This is systemic. This is bigger than just me. Linz, is there an indication that it's not going to just be Flores alone? Uh, Hugh Jackson has said that he might uh, join the lawsuit as well, um, saying that when he was working with the Browns, that owner Jimmy Haslam financially incentivized him to tank, not with like direct payments, but there was some sort of like kind of backroom deal where if, if everyone commits this four-year plan of sucking, like you know, we will reward those involved. It's just like such bullshit because, you know, we say all the time that black coaches often get hired to run the worst teams, right? And get blamed when they don't immediately fix it. And so this whole incentivizing black coaches to fail just seems extra icky to me knowing how hard it is to get them jobs and knowing how much like them having a losing record will impact like the rest of their career far more tangibly than white coaches because black coaches aren't given second chances so it's just the whole thing is icky to me amira historian that's here today give us some history well let's just get a few things straight. One, this is kind of apt that we bring up RISE because the board of directors for RISE, you have uh, NBA, MLS, PGA. You also have Mark Emery representing the NCAA. I say this because 
Uh, I want to be clear about something. This conversation we're having about the dearth of Black coaches in football mirrors the conversation that we've had about it in every other professional league. Brenda has given the numbers for MLS and NWSL. We just talked like, what, a few weeks ago about um, college coaches. I, I wrote a piece about the dearth of Black women coaches in basketball, woefully underrepresented. Um, and in, in men's ball too, that remains to be the case. So it's not just the big bad NFL. It's even in leagues that like to pretend they're super progressive. There's a pipeline problem. There's a pipeline problem because people at their core refuse to see leadership quality, strategic thinking, and all of these ideas about who can coach and who can lead a team actually um, manifested with Black people. Uh, Even former athletes, right? They're like, well, you were good to entertain us and play, but that stops when we think about your mind. People coming in from outside the sport uh, face familiar questions about like, well, what do you possibly know about the game if you haven't played? A familiar refrain we know is used to keep women out of the game, but also to Black folks who weren't athletes, right? But if you just happen to be a coach's son, of which there's many who now have positions in the NFL, right? There's a pipeline for you. I And I bring this larger conversation up because it is a broken record. Uh, as this conversation is going, we we had this back on Black Monday, I think. I can't remember if it was a segment or a burn pile, but it was there because we have it every year. Um, and of course, we have that in conjunction with talking about the Rooney Rule. And you just mentioned, Jess and Lindsay, about the possibility of Hugh Jackson joining this in terms of a class action lawsuit. And I think it's important to remember the origins of the Rooney Rule itself. If you remember back 2003, when Tony Junji and Dennis Green um, were both fired by from their head coaching positions, despite having uh, playoff appearances and wins and, you know, all the things, um, it corresponded with a study that was done by famed lawyer Johnny Cochran, as well as civil rights attorney Cyrus Mahiri. Um, and they did a, re- a report in conjunction with Dr. Janice Madden. Um, that gave us data, much like data that we have churned out in every year since, which showed Black Coach won more games per season. They were more likely to take their teams to the playoffs. They continually outperformed um, their white counterparts because they had to, as Lindsay refer, uh, mentioned. They got less second chances, easier to be let go of. I mean, that's what we're, if you recall what I talked about Flores, he's the first person to get winning seasons for the Dolphins since I was a freshman in high school, right? Like we're talking about success that they're having, which a much shorter uh, margin for error. The results of these studies combined with these lawyers were presented at a press conference, uh, caught the attention of of a few people, um, in particular a former NFL player named John Wooten who worked in the front offices at the time. Um, And they put a commission together for diversity, but it was also with a thinly veiled threat about a class action lawsuit. And the NFL's response to this, to make this go away, right, was to partner on these diversity efforts, which led to the implementation, the creation and implementation of the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule itself is a shield to the threat of a class action lawsuit because the numbers about discrimination were provable then and are provable now. Um, That remains the threat today. Um, And I think that you can see that one of the things that made this lawsuit so uh, explosive when it came out was that it was happening against the backdrop of more and more white coaches filling the spots that were the vacancies that were open in this coaching cycle. 
Um, and so it felt like every day there was another announcement about another hire uh, that, that again, was a white man. Um, now, I talk more about Flores, um, the lawsuit, and the kind of intricacies with this in the interview coming out on Thursday with uh, Shalise Manza-Young from Yahoo Sports. Um, but I just wanted to mention a development that happened this weekend, which was that um, Mike McDaniel was hired uh, in a tweet from Schefter who said he's the first multiracial minority coach hired in this cycle, which made a lot of people immediately go, huh? Like, because he's very, very fair skinned. Um, and so the discourse for the last 24 hours has been about if he's sufficiently black to check off that box. I've seen his parents' wedding pictures at this point on my timeline, uh, to verify that his dad's side of the family is black, even though, um, I think is a surprise to many people. Um, and then there's incentives about like making diverse hires. So now there's like a joke where like, instead of getting the full incentive, you should get a half of it. And now it's just dissolved into like really awful race science stuff. But I do just want to say that the remaining vacancy is with that dreaded Houston Texans job who the Texans seem dead set continuously still on hiring Josh McCown is never coached ever at any level. Um, and the other person who's a finalist for that job, of course, is Brian Flores. Um, and so that's certainly one area to watch, but with this lawsuit kind of going on and as people are picking up, you know, the possibility of joining it and data continues to come out kind of proving its point, I think this is not nearly the last we'll hear of this. And maybe, um, for the first time, we'll move the needle of the conversation forward instead of just regurgitating it each year. Yeah, thank you, Amira. That's so interesting because a lot of Flores's lawsuit is about the sham Rooney Rule interviews, right? Like, talk about a shield. Like, <laughs> it exists, and then they just do a sham job. Let's shift to the Washington NFL team, which I just feel like anytime you mention it, it's just like, you know, we're talking about something embarrassing and bad. But this week they announced their new name, finally, the Commanders, which not great, (laughs) not great, but not racist. So, you know, they had literally the lowest bar possible. The bar is the basement. (laughs) It's buried 20 feet under the basement. And they did manage to step over it. But that was actually not the most important story about Washington this past week. Lindsay, please catch us up. Okay, trigger warning. Skip ahead a couple of minutes. Um, If you want to avoid this, there will be details of sexual harassment. So this week, there was a congressional committee hold a hearing about what's going on uh, in the toxic, toxic workplace culture at the Washington Commanders, I guess, um, front office. If you will remember, the Washington Post did an investigation report last year, and um, that led the NFL to commission a big, big investigation. And then the results of that really were not released. And Daniel Snyder, owner of the team, basically got a slap on the wrist. And now there's a lot of calls to like release the full report, please. Which, just some context that will be important in a moment, the Washington team has said, and the NFL has said that it was a oral report only, like it was a presentation, not a writ, you know, so there's nothing that they can release. Convenient. Anyways, so basically things got so bad that Congress um, 
decided to investigate and there was a hearing and most of the stuff that came out had already been reported by the Washington Post, but one of his nuggets was Tiffany Johnston, former marketing and events coordinator for the team, told the congressional hearing committee that she was strategically placed next to Snyder at a work dinner, not to discuss business, but to allow him to place his hand on her thigh under the table. And her quote was, I learned that job survival meant I should continue my conversation with another coworker rather than call out Dan Snyder in the moment. I also learned later that evening how to awkwardly laugh when Dan Snyder aggressively pushed me toward his limo with his hand on my lower back, encouraging me to ride with him in my car. I learned how to continue to say no, even though the situation was getting more awkward, uncomfortable, and physical. I learned that the only reason Snyder removed his hand from my back and stopped pushing me towards the limo was because his attorney intervened and said, Dan, Dan, this is a bad idea. A very bad idea. I learned that I should remove myself from Dan's grip while his attorney was distracting him. Whoa. First of all, just all the kudos to Tiffany Johnston to come forward with these allegations publicly and testify on this behalf has to be incredibly difficult and just want to send her our love and support and hope that she's getting it personally as well. But obviously like this is horrific and Dan Snyder denies it. Um, But it's just how much stuff does this guy have to deny? Right? Like there's a whole fucking forest fire. It's not smoke right now. Right? Like, Everything is on fire. And um, a couple of other important things that came out uh, during the congressional hearing, which one of the representatives from Illinois said that um, this morning we released two key documents. The first shows that Beth Wilkinson, who did the investigation for the NFL, was hired to write a report. But as we know, the NFL changed that plan. So they have the document that says she was hired to actually do a written report. But then the NFL canceled that. So it was only a presentation. Not sketchy at all. And then also it shows that the Washington team and the NFL agreed to pursue a joint legal strategy, raising serious doubts about the NFL's commitment to independence and transparency in investigating the team. And also the NFL might not be able to publicly release the findings of its internal investigation without the explicit permission of Dan Snyder. Because of this um, agreement. So uh, it's just all really, really terrible. And, you know, I was going to originally talk about how Kevin Blackstone, we love, you know, wrote, wrote a great piece about how, like, using this militarized uh, imagery of the commanders to kind of, as he put, put deodorant over the racism was, like, uh, really, really shitty. And, but like at this point, like that's like way down at the bottom of the list. Like I don't even have the brain power to talk about it. Although I did think it was funny that someone pointed out their colors are red and yellow and they can be called the commies. So I did love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's definitely do that. Everything that's come out around how this quote unquote investigation was handled and the deal between the NFL and Snyder is just so egregiously bad. And it is one of these moments where it's like what what has to happen for this man to no longer be an owner in this league. And I honestly don't know the answer to that question at this point, which feels wild. But these owners are 
bad like so many of them are bad people <laughs> like i don't i don't know what else to take from this yeah it's also why um i saw a few people including folks on that lawsuit being like yeah this is why when the nfl is going to like promise an investigation into what flores is saying that nobody trusts it because it's all a sham. And I think that especially this one with Snyder's instructive because we saw like the biggest person with any sort of accountability coming out of this was like John Gruden. And then the NFL was like, we did something. And it's like, that's not even the thing. Like that wasn't the thing. And yeah. I feel like with Flores, you kind of see that same blueprint, you know, open to possibilities where it becomes like, oh, we'll do one unrelated thing to the complaint and then wrap it up like it's over despite that people who've talked about harm are still just sitting there waiting for any sort of acknowledgement of that. Yes. And I think this is where I am struggling right now with the NFL because the thing I want to do right now is pivot to talking about what's happened on the field. And like, I feel weird doing this in this moment, but what's been on the field, you're like, this is why people buy in. This is why people are still with this league. So in the, with the playoffs, the end of the season, really just in general, was pretty great when it comes to sport. So this is the first NFL season with 18 weeks, which is why the Super Bowl is a week later. So if you're feeling weird that there's something off with the schedule, you're right. The Super Bowl is a week later this year. Week 18 ended with the Raiders beating the Chargers in overtime, even though if they had tied, both teams would have made it into the playoffs. So there was like all this drama around that. Then we had a not great first weekend of playoffs, lots of blowouts, but then the divisional playoffs, Kansas City versus Buffalo Bills, Bengals versus Tennessee Titans, 49ers versus the Packers, Rams versus the Bucks. Lots of articles written about that weekend were titled something like greatest playoff weekend ever. All four games were decided on the final play that broke a tie score. Did y'all think that this was the greatest playoff weekend ever? I mean, I was riveted and I didn't care about any of these people. I was so glad I didn't have an emotional investment because, like, just watching without an emotional investment was, like, hard enough. Like, I can't imagine if I've been rooting for any of those teams. Like, might have actually had a heart attack. I loved it. I mean, that – I watched the end of that um, Bills-Kansas City game. This was always, when I was in Portland and I was out at a bar and we were we were having lunch. I was like, you guys, we need to find a place that's showing this on TV so we can watch the end of this because I'd missed the, a few endings. And – I was so glad I was with people for that, right? Because it was just so wild. Like, everyone was just like, what? 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 Like, it was just nonstop just kind of screaming. It was a blast. And whenever I'm having these big things, I think back to a segment that Katie Nolan did years and years and years ago, back with one of her employers who didn't really take care of her. But when she was talking about, like, domestic violence in the NFL and stuff and people being like, why don't you just stop watching? And she was like, because I'm not going to let the bad people have this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to let, like, the really bad people, like, take this away from me. Like, I'm going to stay here and fight for it to be better. But that's always kind of what I think about when, you know, whenever I'm, like, really conflicted. It's like, no, they're not getting rid of me i'm gonna enjoy this and i'm gonna be annoying as hell so they they they're not gonna be allowed to just be awful and just have their fans who appreciate them being awful they're going to deal with with us too so anyways but it was so good and i do love football football was my first football and tennis the first sports i really loved and it's just thrilling yeah amira were you into it no i didn't watch it all actually um i watched these games in clips 
Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. There's like just a lot of sports happening and like a lot of life happening. And, you know, I've talked about this, like the same way, like Jess has had this journey with like college football, right? Like I have had like this kind of similar thing with the NFL where I just like, it will still grip me, but that kind of like I I sync my calendars to like game schedules, right? Like I don't have the Patriots game schedule on my main calendar. I have other teams there right now. Um, but I watched in clips, right? And so it was kind of fun actually to get the games that way because it would just be like my timeline exploding and then me finding the clips. So it was just like I was getting all of the moments of chaos. Um, but what I did enjoy actually in the conference champion weekend was I was... I was watching part of the game and then I had to shuttle kids around and there's a Bengals bar across the street from where Samari has theater rehearsal and I could hear them. And so it was just like these explosion of cheers on the street. And I was like, Oh, something must be happening. And then I would like check the game. Um, and then they were too quiet for too long. And I was like drama. And so then I turned on the end, <laughs> the end part of that game. Uh, so like those intense. were, that's how I consumed the playoffs, which is different than sitting and watching it, but it was no less exciting. Like, you know, to, to see lead changes when you're watching clips, you're like, wait, that's not what was happening a minute ago when I refreshed my feed. Yes. Um, so I still feel like I got all the chaos and vibes just like in a less structured way. Okay. So two things before we move to Super Bowl. One, deeply enjoyed the entire internet dunking on Aaron Rodgers yes. after the Packers lost. That was just a super highlight. Uh, and then we have these old man quarterbacks retiring. So Brady is gone. Roethlisberger is gone. Uh, it's not clear what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. Um and it's interesting because at the same moment, we have this sort of ascendancy of these other quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and, of course, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so it's it's an interesting moment, I would say, for the QBs out there. It is. And I should mention that I talked to Shalise, who was a longtime Patriots reporter, about Brady's retirement. And also, it's like kind of weird, like the things that make you feel old, but like watching these QBs that were like, so much of my life, like all but like 10 years of it, like leaving, I was like, oh my gosh, like what is this? I know, it's wild, this? but you know, I, I won't miss these guys. No. They have worn out their welcome in, in many different ways. Yeah, and they're obviously all bad for like very different reasons, and I don't want to be, you know, put them all on the same level of bad, but like None of them are particularly likable, and I find this new <laughs> crop of quarterbacks, like, very likable. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Joe Burrow and Mahomes, for the most part, and Josh Allen. You know, there's just, like, some really, of course, uh, Lamar Jackson. Like, there's just, like, really fun quarterbacks to root for, and I'm enjoying that. I don't, I'm, I don't miss, of course, I'm sure – with time, we will get our own. <laughs> I know. Don't stick around for terrible. For 20 but I'm years. enjoy this moment right, right here, yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, one last thing before Super Bowl. I'm sorry, I forgot. I just want to um, do a quick thing. Lots of overtime in these playoffs, and I just want to find out if you all hate NFL overtime the way that I do. They do a coin flip, and whoever gets the wins gets the ball, and the first team to score wins. And so it super favors the coin 
flip, uh, and I hate it. And so I'm nervous that we're going to get a Super Bowl this year just based on how the playoffs have gone that's going to go to overtime and be decided in this really terrible way. And it was such a hot conversation there uh, in the NFL sphere. So I just want to know if you guys hate it as much as I do. I hate it. I just don't understand that when they changed this, the overtime rules back when they changed the overtime rules to make it more fair. It used to be obviously the first who scored field goal, whatever won, And then they were like, Oh, that's not fair because 10 times out of 11, it's going to be who wins the coin toss. So to change it, right. They were like, you have to score a touchdown to win right away. If you score a field goal, other people get a chance. And I don't understand why if you're implementing new rules, you wouldn't just say everybody gets the ball. Like it would have been easy enough to just say both teams get a shot. Yeah. And so it felt like we took a half step. It's terrible. And I get so annoyed when people are like, well, defense is half of the game. So like you, you should, your defense should be able to stop them. Okay. It's not like if there's one more possession, the defense is going anywhere. Defense is still going to be out there on overtime. Now you would just guarantee that both defenses would get a shot, just like both offenses. So that is a very empty argument. Like, all right. (laughs) 1985 Chicago Bears go sit down and like we saw we saw these overtime rules in effect when um the Patriots played the uh Falcons right in that Super Bowl they scored a touchdown a walk-off touchdown and it was over it just is like wrong one of those nonsensical things it's like easy enough to just change yeah it feels wrong it makes people so mad uh so finally Super Bowl let's do it who do you think is gonna win Bengals versus Rams what are you looking forward to I'm just going to go first because I, I don't really know. I like I clearly don't follow these teams that closely. I feel like Matthew Stafford and the Rams are having a moment. They have an incredible defense. But I also have watched the Bengals now do things that no one thought they should be able to do. So I'm mainly just one of these people who is hoping that we get another last second score from whichever team is going to win and that it's super thrilling. I don't want a three to six Super Bowl or something like that. Like I want. You know, I want some offense. I want to see uh, some good plays. Uh, at least at this point, the NFL owes us this, if nothing else. What are you guys thinking for the Super Bowl, Amira? Oh, I'm never going to root for an L.A. team. So, you know, Bengals <laughs> okay. all the way. Um, I do want to note, though, that um, I just wanted to draw everybody's attention to a few Super Bowl halftime show discussions um there was an attempt to get professional dancers to dance for free at the halftime show um and it was ridiculous majority of these dancers were black dancers they wanted african-american movers um and it really took a public shaming campaign of the dancers and and you know their representation to say like hey no if you're going to mandate a 72-hour rehearsal and not pay us. And they tried to make a distinction. Like, Rock Nation always pays its dancers, but they were talking about the stage dancers and these rehearsals and casting calls and things that they were filling were for field dancers. And it seems to have been resolved. At least that's what they're saying. Um, But it just was like another thing about the halftime show, which is getting much fanfare, um, of course, because it has a stacked lineup, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem, Mary J. Blige. Um, but of course, uh, if you recall back in 2019, the NFL partnered with Rock Nation, with Jay-Z, um, as part of their quote-unquote Inspire Change initiative. Um, this is where Jay-Z said, uh, after saying he was never going to perform with them because of, you know, all of the things we just talked about with the NFL, 
he said, well, they're past kneeling. Like, we're moving on. We're just, like, going full into capitalism. He's just, like, you know, loves to be a capitalist, too. And they entered this partnership that was supposed to highlight Black musical acts or multiracial musical acts, and then also give them money in some way to inspire change. This is not clear any of this is happening. Um, and so this is yet another partnership with Rock Nation. Um, there's a lot of fanfare for this impressive lineup, of course, especially because it's in California um, and the folks are going wild for it. But I, I think that with the Flores lawsuit, it, it feels like just another kind of stark moment where you're like, how long can this entertainment spectacle like draw viewers in to the NFL in in this way that they kind of chew up and dispose and only use black bodies in certain ways, including for halftime entertainment. Um, and I think sadly that it, it's a winning blueprint. Like I I think that people are going to turn in and be really hype about that, and I think it's going to do its job. Um, so that's just something to to keep your eye on for Super Bowl halftime drama. But other than that, Bengals all the way, <laughs> BLA, you know. All right. Lens. Yeah, I just want to get one of my favorite kind of storylines throughout this playoffs off the field has been watching the Bengals go do so well because um, it was just a little over a year ago now that Chris Wesling, who was a podcaster and reporter with the NFL Network, um, passed away because of cancer. And I think it was literally like Super Bowl Sunday, like the day before the Super Bowl last year. And he has this podcast, had this podcast called Around the NFL with um, three other guys. And it's a podcast I've listened to for years because they would recap like literally every single NFL game on Monday mornings. And as a Panthers fan, my team is mostly ignored. So like when I was, whenever I was really in, into, in my football kicks and the Panthers were doing well, like I would make sure I would listen to this podcast through just following the podcast, followed Chris, who was kind of the only single guy, I think on the program, like start dating a woman from the NFL network, Lakeisha. And then he got diagnosed with cancer the first time. And then he went into mission and then they got married and had this huge beautiful wedding and then they had a baby and then Chris got cancer again and then it ultimately passed away so it's like you follow their whole story but Chris was a huge Bengals fan and mm. Lakeisha is a Rams fan and so oh. this is the Wesley oh. Bowl and I, I post some links because I want you guys to see the joy of them celebrating the uh, of Lakeisha celebrating these wins with her um, NFL Network family it's been so just so joyous to watch because the Bengals never won, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and uh, that, you know, it was a running joke on the podcast about how the Bengals would always play the one playoff game. It'd be the afternoon game. It would be called West of us. Cause they would get like the shittiest time slot on the first weekend of like the wild card games. And they would lose that game. Anyways, really uh, thinking Lakeisha. Lakeisha's also just a great, you know, woman in NFL media, um, black woman in NFL media who's just doing amazing things. And their, their son is the cutest boy. He has Chris's face. <laughs> it's just the cutest thing. Anyways, uh, I don't know these people at all. <laughs> <laughs> Lakeisha follows me, but we've literally never interacted. But I, I feel so invested in this. And I've just, like, literally never been happier for, like, you know, a family over a sports story. <laughs> I love this story because then it's, like, whoever wins, someone wins. Yeah, yeah. 
it's just it's just wild and it's so improbable and um sports can be cool sometimes you know like sports are meaningful and can be bigger than the shitty things going on at the administrative level so this is another reminder of that Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On Thursday, Amira talks to Yahoo Sports columnist and former Patriots beat reporter Shalise Monza-Young about Brian Flores' lawsuit, Tom Brady's retirement, the rise of Joe Burrow, and how she's seen sports media change over the years. If you speak to any Black man who has been around the NFL for any length of time, who's tried to work up the ladder as a coach, who's tried to work up the ladder as a scout or in, and to become a general manager, they all have the same stories. They yeah. all, well, maybe it's going to be this year. Maybe it's going to be this year. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, the burn pile, where we pile up all the things we've hated this week in sports and set them aflame. Before we get going this week, a general content note that we'll be talking about both gendered violence and transphobia in this burn pile. Lindsay, what are you burning? Um, well, both of those things. <laughs> uh, got a double burn here. First things is uh, this week, the Business Insider published a follow-up report with more allegations against Barstool founder David Portney, including claims that he filmed multiple women during oh. sex without their consent. He has continued just to say the whole thing is just a hit piece. This is a follow-up to their report from last year. And I just want to give kudos to Julia Black and Makorka Alicia um, for continued reporting, uh, this important reporting, because we know that the backlash they're receiving is immense. And I also want to burn someone a little bit. Nancy Hogshead McCarr right now deserves to be in the burn pile and has for a while. She's someone I long admired for her work to eradicate abuse in sports, um, but currently... As we mentioned before, she is running the Women's Sports Policy Working Group, which has a mission to protect girls and women's competitive sports uh, for biological females. It's essentially an anti-trans working group. And this week, um, we saw that dangerous stuff in action when she actually pinned a letter against trans swimmer Leah Thomas 
on behalf of a group of Thomas's anonymous pen teammates um, saying that, you know, Leah Thomas should not be able to compete in the upcoming championships. And, um, you know, this comes on the back of USA Swimming, very transparently changing their trans policy overnight uh, in order to uh, essentially target Leah Thomas specifically. It was like the Castor Semenya regulations that are just so incredibly targeted towards one person. So the fact that this is how Nancy Hogshead McCarr is using her power and using her connections is one of the most despicable things I've ever heard. So David Portney, Nancy Hogshead McCarr, onto the burn pile. Burn. Burn. Amira, what are you burning? Um, yeah, I have two soccer-related burns. The first um, is a quick one for USA Soccer, um, who played a World Cup qualifier uh, in Minnesota last week in Arctic temperatures. Um, they chose this location because it was thought to be more friendly to them than Austin or um, other places, you know, in nicer climates uh, that there's a lot of, of Central American fans go to their playing Honduras. We also had Burhalter, the coach, talk about how it was like no different scheduling a cold weather game than when they have to go down and play in humidity in Central America. Well, uh, I don't know if you watched the game or not. It was physically painful watching them run around in this temperature. Every time they hit the ground, you could practically feel the impact because it's that cold. And two Honduran players, goalkeeper Luis Lopez and forward Romel Gito, um, both left at halftime because, because of how cold it was. There was worry about hypothermia and frostbite. I don't give a fuck what kind of advantage you think you want. Hypothermia and frostbite are, are absolutely not the move. Like there's a video of reporters pouring water on a shirt and in two minutes it being stiff as a board. Um, there's soccer weather and then there's just unspeakable conditions that you shouldn't play in just because you want some sort of competitive advantage and you're dumb. So, and I thought that was harmful, but certainly not as harmful as what I'm about to talk about in, in huge content warning here. Mason Greenwood of Manchester United last week was embroiled in absolute mess as videos were posted um, on his uh, then-girlfriend's Instagram showcasing cuts, bruises, um, signs of physical abuse, as well as a voice note, uh, uh, audio clip um, that that shows him forcing her um, to have sex with him when she's saying no. Um, there was a number of other kind of materials circulated briefly before they were pulled down, but that was enough, um, for this kind of case to be raised. He was arrested, then further charged, um, with abuse, with attempted rape. And, uh, as the days went on, more charges were added. He was held for three days and then released on bail. Nike has dropped him. Uh, eSports have removed him. FIFA has removed him from the game. Manchester United has suspended him, um, issuing a quick statement saying he will not not appear um, with no timetable on that. It's horrific. We all are too familiar with the ways uh, fans and sporting institutions can rally around or concern themselves with the athlete instead of of the person who should be central to it, the person who is is dealing and navigating this abuse. Um, saw a little bit about that. Uh, I think that 
it was so egregious. I mean, we talk about this all the time, so you should know how egregious it is by how swift all of these people moved to actually distance themselves from him. Um, but even so, the lingering kind of things we cling to in sports media remain. So even just today, there's another report about how this is causing a rift in, inside of the United dressing room with some players unfollowing him and who's trying to support him and what's alleged and what's this. And it's like, we're all too familiar with those narratives happening at this time. But um, I I just wanted to hold space for the young woman who um, is dealing with a global superstar um, and, and all of that comes with going public with abuse and, and harm at their hands um, and just burn these horrific images and audio and all of it. Um, it's insanely frustrating, especially obviously like, when it's one of your favorite players, but then also just to remind you, you know, it's why we don't have heroes. Um, and it's, it's easy to see how abuse persists because immediately you are like, Oh no, but I liked him. And it's like, well, what did I like his goals? You know, what does that have to do with the man he is and, and what he's been doing in the harm? Um, it's just like abuse everywhere. And I want to burn that. Burn. Burn. So I want to burn the continued transphobic sports bills that are going through state legislatures in the U.S. right now, including in Arizona and Alaska. South Dakota's governor has signed a ban against youth trans athletes into law as of last week. We've talked about this on the show a lot when I interviewed Angel Flores recently. She and I talked about it. We will continue to talk about it. But for now, I just want to highlight that this shit is still happening and put it back on everyone's radar. So burn that. Um, but I also want to burn Rocky Wirtz. Most likely, you are like me. And until this week, and maybe not until right now, you had never heard of Rocky Wirtz. Uh, but trust that I, and hopefully you, will never forget that this is an asshole. Wirtz is the Chicago NHL team's owner and chairman. Perhaps you'll remember that an investigation recently found that the team purposefully suppressed a report of sexual assault by a player, Kyle Beach, against a video coach during their 2010 run to the Stanley Cup championship. Well, last week, Wirtz was part of a panel at a town hall put on by the team. The Athletics' Mark Lazarus asked Wirtz's son, team CEO Danny Wirtz, about what the team is doing to empower players in the future who find themselves in a similar situation to Kyle Beach. As Lazarus stressed on Twitter, his question was about what the team is doing now and in the future. Please listen to how Wirtz responded to this totally reasonable question and what he does when his son tries to answer. A player in a similar situation to make sure that doesn't happen again. I'm going to answer the question at the end. I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here. We're not looking back at 2010. We're looking forward. And we're not going to talk about 2010. That is my answer. Now, what's your next question? I can pick up to what we are doing today. And I think no, I don't know. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. What we're going to do today is our business. I don't think it's any of your business. Because I don't think it's any of your business. You don't work for the company. That's right. At a public town hall in response to a question about what the team is doing today in the wake of a publicly published investigation that found massive failure within the team, this man told everyone it was no one's business. Kudos to Lazarus for asking and to another journalist, Phil Thompson, for trying to follow up, even though he got the same kind of angry, belligerent answer from Wirtz. 
On some level, it is really something to see someone at the top of one of these teams say what we imagine most of them believe but won't actually say out loud. But let's be totally clear. This is super fucked up. Wirtz's response to a simple question that he should have expected was just out of line. All I want, all I want is for reporters who cover this team to continue to ask this exact question of every single person in a position of power on this team for years to come. Years. They should have to answer for this for many years. A team with this kind of massive failure should have to answer for it just over and over and over again. The idea that it's no one's business is a wild thing to say. And a business is actually built on fandom and fan loyalty. It is absolutely our business. So I just want to burn this bullshit. Burn. Burn. Now to highlight people carrying the torch and changing sports culture. First up, our honorable mentions. Amira, will you get us started? Yeah, I want to shout out LSU's elite dance team, the Tiger Girls. Um, They just won the 2022 Universal Dance Association College Nationals. This comes a year after being told by LSU that they could not compete in the 2021 competition because they didn't have enough trainers to send with the team and they wanted to prioritize uh, other sports but they still expected the Tiger Girls to dance at football games and basketball practices despite barring them from competition. So when the Tiger Girls chose a song for their nationals competition this year, they went with Sierra's Like a Boy and they brought home the trophy. Lindsay. Yeah, both the Philippines and Vietnam women's soccer teams are headed to their first ever World Cup after qualifying in the AFC Asian Women's Cup. We love that. Congratulations. Amira. Yeah, I want to shout out Jada Wooten from uh, the second season of Cheer. Um, After being disinvited from various cheer, post-cheer, rebel-sponsored tour stops because of her language and her brashness on the show, um, she posted an Instagram message, um, A, calling it out, but also affirming herself and her right to be herself and reminding everybody that there would always be too loud or too black or too this or too that for somebody, but to continue to being authentically yourself. So Jada, for being unabashedly and unapologetically authentically yourself, uh, congrats, we see you. There are always plenty of torchbearers at the end of a tennis grand slam. The latest Australian Open is no exception. Cheers to Ash Barty, who won the women's singles, the first Australian to do so since 1978. She has now won a championship on clay, on grass, and the hard courts. Rafael Nadal won his 21st Grand Slam title, putting him on top on the men's side. He's passed Federer and Djokovic, who each have 20. And finally, Didi DeGroote won the women's wheelchair title, which is her sixth, six, one, two, three, four, five, six Grand Slam championship in a row. She won the 2020 U.S. Open all four slams last year and now the first slam of 2022. That is incredible. Amira. For the first time ever, Senegal is the champions of AFCON. Uh, They captured the title after a 0-0 tie through extra time. They won it on penalty kicks. Um, It came down to the last kick. It was thrilling. It was exciting. I mean, just listen to the celebrations that rang out on the streets of Dakar. (laughs) 
can I get a drum roll, please? Lindsay, please tell us who our torchbearers of the week are. Yes, we've got uh, women's sports. <laughs> women's sports. So there were two huge pieces of news in pro women's team sports in the United States this week. The NWSL and the Players Association agreed on the league's first ever collective bargaining agreement. Some of the big things were raising the minimum salary to 35000 which is doesn't sound like much, but uh, I believe it's like a 60% increase over the previous years. This year's was 22000 So it's a 4% year-over-year increase in salaries. And finally, the biggest thing is free agency. Players will get eight weeks of paternal leave, whether for birth or adoption, and up to six months of mental health leave. And last week, the WNBA announced the largest ever capital raise for a women's sports property to the tune of $75 million. The league says they'll use this money for brand elevation and marketing, globalization of the WNBA, and to address some of the league's obstacles to growth and generating revenue. We are disrupting cycles of deinvestment all over the place, and I'm obsessed. Get on board the women's team sports train because uh, it's about to be too expensive for you two. Woo, woo. <laughs> all right. What is good in your worlds, Amira? What's good with you? Um, I just want to shout out my former students who I love to see thrive. Um, Micah, of course, got the best linebacker award. Uh, from the NFL this year for his breakout freshman season on the Cowboys and also like won the Pro Bowl dash for the fastest thing. I mean, obviously Diggs was not running his fastest, but <laughs> he still won. Um, and of course, I talked about being in Portland and getting to see Sam Coffey, who just signed a two-year contract with the Portland Thorns and reported to training camp after the CBA was signed, which is great. And of course, Ellie Jean just signed with Gotham FC. Um, and so it's so great to have Ellie back in the States where we can see her games a little bit more easier than navigating the Dutch game system. <laughs> um, and so it's just a treat to see people that you've watched grow and, and develop and emerge into themselves also have like this kind of public professional success. So that has been um, a balm over, over the last week. Um, so I think that that is like a big what's good for me and my kid turned 14 and that's um wild uh (laughs) you know absolutely wild but it was a great a great day great celebrating her always yay Lindsay. um yeah i don't know i feel like i I feel like i still want to tell the fact that it's the wrestling bowl story but we already went over that but that's what's good um i also have to say about like a month ago i impulse bought a tv at costco which is like a ridiculously big impulse buy but anyways i when i first moved into this this apartment i was so happy to like because i used to had been in a place where like basically my tv my bedroom and office and living room were all the same room so i was like excited to have separate rooms and everything so like i have a tv in my office that i can stream to and then a tv with cable in my living room but having a tv in my bedroom for the olympics and australian open like a life changer like it's just like the best thing i've ever done and also i completely reorganized my closet and cleaned under my bed and took out like eight bags of trash from my room over the weekend no way i would have done that without the tv there no way so tv in bedroom don't listen to your parents it's a good thing <laughs> i love it uh 
What's good? I I found this challenging over the last week. Uh, Ralph, we took him to a bar slash dog park. I was thinking of you, Lindsay, uh, yesterday. And I had a grand time with all these dogs. My dog did not. He doesn't like other dogs. He basically stood at the door trying to like see if someone would <laughs> let him go out or just like staring in the corner of a fence. Uh, but I had a good time. So that was good. Uh, my son did a School of Rock performance last weekend and it was the first time that I'd seen him perform in years. He was great. And the whole group was great. Like he is now just at a different level um, at the School of Rock. So just the whole level of the program was high and I just it was the music of New Orleans I really enjoyed it Uh, my son stepped in at the last second one of the other bass players he plays my kid plays the keys and the electric bass but the other bass player got sick and couldn't be there and so my son had to learn like five or six songs basically overnight and and he did it and and so as a parent it was great because he performed on almost every song so (laughs) it's like the most that I've gotten to see him perform uh and then also shout out to Amira Rose Davis who brought me OMG Squee Baked Goods last night Uh, if you watched Queer Eye this last season you will know exactly what I'm talking about and they're good the donuts are good yeah I didn't know what to expect and they were really good yeah they have a nice soft chewy center that I that I liked a lot and the ube it was ube, right? Yeah, I didn't try that one. It was good. Yeah, yeah I yeah. just had strawberry and Mexican vanilla. Oh, Mexican! Yeah, that one was the best one, and it had like a cute. The Mexican vanilla had like a cute cat face. I yeah. made a, I made a noise when somebody bit into it because she's weird about faces, and so she's like, I don't want to bite the face. And then when she when I wasn't looking, she like took a bite, and I was like, Yeah. <laughs> it's the little things. Uh, it is. It is. So this week, we are watching, of course, the Olympics. I just want to tell everyone listening, uh, hopefully you caught our interview with Alana Myers-Taylor. She will be competing starting this weekend in the bobsled. She was cleared for competition. The Super Bowl on Sunday, it's on NBC here in in the U.S. Uh, We've talked about that to death. And then Athletes Unlimited's basketball season is continuing in Las Vegas, and it has been fun and thrilling so far. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon does our website, episode transcripts, and social media. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn, all of the places. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. From there, you can email us directly or go shopping at our bonfire store and get some Burn It All Down merch. As always, an evergreen thank you to our patrons for your support. It means the world. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burnitalldown. As always, burn on and not out.